Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Proverbs, of course, since that's where we are. And I want you to look in chapter 1, verse 7, and then we'll go to chapter 9, verse 10. Now watch very carefully as this kind of wonderfully opens up to us. So we're looking at Proverbs chapter 1 and teaching your sons to fear your God and then, of course, to fear his God, which ought to be your God. In verse 7, here's what you read. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So for them to really begin to get knowledge, they have to start with a fear, a healthy fear of the Lord. Then it goes on to say, fools despise wisdom and instruction. It might be good for you to know, what does it mean to despise wisdom and instruction? The word despise there means to hold as insignificant, or to put down, or to cheapen, or to make less valuable, or to think less of. So fools think less of wisdom and instruction. If you look in Scripture, fools are wanting that instant moment gratification of joy of feel-good things. And so they're really not so much into knowledge and wisdom, and that's why they think less of it. So you want them to fear the Lord, so that begins their their knowledge journey. Go, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 9. You'll see it again, but a little change of words here. Chapter 9, verse 10, it says, "...the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom." So notice both the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And then it says, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And you know, that is really critical. So if you want to underline that verse, go ahead. But I'd encourage you to underline the last part of it. And that would be that factor of the the knowledge of the Holy One will give you understanding. I really believe that if your son or your daughter is wanting to have a healthy relationship of fearing the Lord, it's going to come when they really understand who the Holy One is. And so in a moment here, I want to give you a list of that which you would want to teach about God. It'll be a very quick list, and you can jot it down as fast as you'd like. That's really up to you. But I want to first give you what it means to fear the Lord and what that means. To fear the Lord doesn't mean that you shake and you quake at the knowledge of God, or you shake and you quake thinking that God is going to smash you like a bug because you have sinned. Really what it means is to respect the Lord or to hold him in awe, to respect him or hold him in awe. I often use the illustration here in our church that we have electricity running through our building and we're so grateful for it. The electricity is powering our air conditioning system, especially on a day like today. It's powering our sound system so that you can hear. It's powering our camera so it could be shown on YouTube when people want to watch today's sermon. So all of that is electricity. Now, I don't sit or stand in a building in a room like this, and I'm quaking because this room is filled with juice that could electrocute me, and I could die or at the least get burned badly from the electricity. I don't fear that. On the other hand, I respect the electricity. I will not lick a knife and then stick it, a metal knife, into the socket because I know it will happen to me. I respect it. I hold it in awe. Now, let me make sure you understand this. I don't respect electricity more than I respect God or hold electricity more in awe than I do God. But I see the value of it, I respect it, and I receive from the Lord that who He is in my life. And so that's the positive nature of going to the Lord, how important that that is. Now, why would it be important for your son and your daughter to fear the Lord? Well, it's really important for them to know that because you and I know already we live in a culture that does not want God in our culture. They do not want God in our creation. They do not want God in our character or our morality. 
And because of that, they don't fear God. They don't hold him in holy awe. They do not hate sin. And because of that, they do not have wisdom nor understanding. And these very people are elevated to some position of power that now they have to either write laws or enforce laws or interpret laws that affect other people. And they're doing it totally without any of the knowledge and the wisdom of God doing it. And so they're living in this world, and the question is, is how can they navigate in a world like this and still make sense out of it for their own life and have a sense of uh, joy even in the midst of potential persecution and suffering when they have to serve under that kind of authority? And again, it comes from a healthy understanding of who is large and in charge would be God. So here is the list you might want to write down. Now, it's going to sound very theological, and I wish I had many weeks to unpack each one of these. But whenever I came into a new church as a pastor, the first thing I would teach them would be these principles because you need to know God so you will then fear Him and you'll have wisdom. Here it is, number one, that God is powerful. And for your young person, that means that He's more powerful than anything that will come against your son or your daughter. Secondly, God is holy. That means He is righteous and pure. In fact, you could even say God is perfect. He's the only perfect one. He is the divine standard and there's no relativity with God. He is perfect. He is holy. He is omniscient, which means he knows what is best no matter what for your son or your daughter. So he is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He's also omnipresent. That means he is everywhere present where your son or daughter will be. That means when your son or daughter is in the sanctuary worshiping, he's present. When he's in a Sunday school class, he's present. He's also present on the beach late at night or the back seat of a van. So wherever your son or daughter is, God is always present there to give them power, strength, reminder, and governing. So again, God is everywhere present. God is immutable, which means His nature doesn't change. That means there's no double standard with the Lord. He is just, which means that He will treat everyone in His family fairly. In other words, He is not going to show favoritism. He is just. He is also merciful, which means He's approachable. You need to teach Him that God is approachable. And what makes God, who is a righteous, holy God who hates sin, approachable is because God is forgiving. And He's forgiving because He's merciful. He's also kind, which means He won't harm your son or daughter. He may go through things in life that God will either prescribe or permit that will bring pain to your son or daughter. And that He needs to accept that pain, but know that in the ultimate future with God's eternality with your son or daughter... That it's not harming him. It's not hindering him from being all that God wants him to be. God will not hold him back because God dislikes your son. So God is still kind no matter what happens. God is all loving, which means he's not only compassionate, but he's also sacrificial in the love that God has for him, that God will ultimately, through Christ, sacrifice far more than whatever your son or daughter will ever sacrifice and will go through far more than what your son or daughter will go through. And it's all because he loves your son and son or daughter more than anyone else could ever love him. God is all loving. God is gracious, which means that he will always give the very best to your son and daughter in light of his own glory. In light of God's own glory, he will give the very best. He is always gracious all the time. He will give him so much. In the light of all history, God is also sovereign. Why is that important? That means because God is in control. It doesn't mean that Satan wins. It means God wins and that whatever God is doing, it's to bring that glory to himself. So we must teach them, your son and your daughter, to revere the greatness of God And that begins as a little child in Sunday school reading the special little books that you can get to help that child really understand and have a healthy and a holy view of God, how critical that is. 
But now there's some negative with that as well. While we talk about the greatness of God, we also need to teach them that God absolutely, completely, and forever hates sin. And he needs to know that in God's hatred for sin, he demonstrates his greatest hatred for sin was when he went on the cross and he died for you and me. And so that he could forgive us of the sin that we have in nature and our, in our deeds so that we could have an eternal relationship with him. God hated sin so much. And he didn't want that in our life that he sent his son to the cross for us. So God also has the right to punish. God has the right to chasten. God has the right to judge because God is God. And that just like God hates sin, watch this now, we need to teach our son and daughter to hate sin. And the best way we begin is ourselves hating sin and not living those sinful thoughts, the sinful words, and the sinful deeds in front of them. So we need to teach him all of that and how valuable that is. One of the greatest favors a wise father could ever do for his son is to teach him the character of God, what God is really like. Now there's another component in this aspect of fearing God, and that is there has to be a trust. In other words, I'll fear God. That means I hold him in reverence and awe. I will hate sin because he hates sin. I want to know this God, but in him, I also need to trust this God in who he is. Now, why did I put trust last? It is very easy to trust someone who's already proven themselves to be authentic and genuine. And so when you teach him who God is, what God hates, then you teach him how easy it is to trust a God like this who evermore wants you to be in his presence. And so again, it makes the trust part a lot easier. So when you know the person, you'll really trust the person. Keep that in mind, how important that is. So what do I teach him? I teach him to revere God and I teach him to hate sin because obviously fearing the Lord prolongs his life. Fearing the Lord will also be more profitable than any wealth that he'll have. Fearing the Lord will also give him the uh, impetus and a conscience strength to keep away from evil. It'll give him the confidence and answered prayer, and he will be praised. And on a practical level, Proverbs even says that if you truly fear the Lord, it'll even make you sleep better at night when you really know that God is there watching over you. I'd like you to write this next phrase down. This is not in your notes, but I put it in my notes, but I wanted you to take the moment and write this down. And then I want you to think about it and ponder this between you and the Lord and see how much of this you might agree with. And that is, how your son views God is the most important thing you can teach him. Think about that phrase. How my son and daughter will view God is the most important thing that I can teach him. Now, if I don't keep redirecting him to an accurate view of who God is and what God does, then somehow there's going to be information fed to him about God that won't be accurate, and eventually how he views God from whomever he receives that will begin to affect his thinking, which will affect his feeling, which will affect his behavior, which will affect his social interaction for the rest of his life, and it's like one big domino effect. So dads, the biggest thing is to help your son and daughter to have a correct view of who God is. Now let's step back a step. All right. That means that for you and me as dads, one of the most important things we can do is besides providing for our family and protecting our family, which are incredibly important, it's also that we really know who God is. And so I caution you that you're very careful about who you listen to on the radio. The choices that you make when you go to a church, the things that you might read, the fellowships that you might have, because all of them are going to be speaking into your mind 
Now, I don't want you to be so scared that you think you have to live on a desert island somewhere and you can't be around anyone. It just means that a discerning mind, one that is really searching Scripture and wanting to know truth and putting yourself underneath sound doctrine, sound biblical teaching, you will have an edge. And let me say it another way. You will have a filter that will be able to pick out the things that are not right. You will have another set of ears. You'll have another set of eyes, what you hear and what you read as you get into God's Word. And oh, let me tell you, as you have a correct view of God, the peace that comes into your life, the joy that has comes into your life, there's a confidence knowing that you can make decisions that are going to be biblical as you see life, not on a first level or a second level or a third level. You're going to see life so differently. It'll be technicolor and surround sound that only God can give you when you have a healthy fear of God because then you have the knowledge, then you have the wisdom, and you have a greater understanding of the Holy One, God Himself. So number one, the fear of the Lord is, I think, one of the most crucial lessons that you could teach your son. And it comes first by dads. They need to see your fear of the Lord before they hear about the fear of the Lord from you. Lesson number two, teach your sons to guard his mind Teach your son to guard his mind. If you will, look at Proverbs chapter 3, and let's begin at verse 1, and we'll read it through verse 3. So we're looking at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, and then we're going to flip over to chapter 4, verse 23. And here's what you read in verse 1. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for a length of days and years of life, and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was mentioning to you about heart. The majority of the times that you find heart in the Bible, it is not referring to your pumping organ. It's not even referring to an emotional part that you love him with all of your heart. I just love you. Kind of an emotional love affair kind of a thing. Actually, as you go through Scripture and the original writings, it was more connected to your mind, to your thinking. That's why in Matthew it says, to love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, soul, mind. And so you want to think right. So the word heart would be there. When it does want to talk about more of your emotions, it uses a different word. And the King James Version actually has the best translation of that. It uses the word bowels. Now, I don't like to look, think about bowels. I don't even like to use that word from the pulpit. And this is going to be broadcast everywhere. Bowels, who wants to hear that? But that would be the inner part of you. That's the part of you that gets affected, that you can actually feel when your mind is doing something. When your mind begins to think a certain way, when you're fearful, your stomach gets in knots. When you see something that's disgusting, you feel nauseous. That's all kind of inside here, but it went through the mind to your bowels. So at the beginning place is your mind. And so here it's saying how important it is that you would understand God's word in the mind, in the thinking part. So it's not to eliminate the emotions, but it's not to bypass the mind to emotions either. Did you catch that? It's not to eliminate the emotions, but it is not to bypass the mind to get to the emotions. It's to start at the mind, and that's what this is talking about here. So when you talk about guarding your hearts, it's guarding your mind. Now notice what else it says here. In guarding of your mind, it gives you two phrases here, two thoughts. It says, do not let kindness and truth depart from you. Kindness can also refer to love, grace, and mercy. So while you're teaching your son the importance of guarding his mind, part of his mind is that he is owning the concept of loving others by being kind and merciful and gracious to them. 
Then it says a little bit further. It also says, and truth leave you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Now notice the order that it has here for you. It has kindness and then truth. I did a study through scripture, and you can look at the references. More times than not, you're going to find the terms grace and truth, mercy and truth, and kindness and truth. Those three terms, grace, mercy, kindness, coming before truth. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 1, actually John said it about Jesus in John chapter 1, he said, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. It doesn't say it just one time, it says it two times in chapter 1, emphasizing again that all wrapped up in Christ is grace, mercy, and kindness first, and then truth second. But it doesn't say only grace and not truth, and it doesn't say only truth and not grace. So when you're putting forth this to your sons and daughters in your teaching, you're doing grace and truth together, but grace comes first. I like to say it this way. It's like the candy coating sometimes on medicine. Now, while medicine may not taste good and often doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's less important and it's bad for you just because it tastes bad. It's just the chemicals involved in the medicine. But to get it down, to receive it so that the good healing factor of medicine, you have to candy coat that a little bit. Now, when you give truth, you give truth with a lot of grace and kindness, but you're still going to give truth. Your emphasis, I want them to have truth, but in order for them to take that truth into their mind and then guard their mind, it has to come with the grace and the truth. You've often heard me use the phrase that if you're going to shoot out truth like an arrow, you want to dip your arrow in honey before you shoot it. So that's in any conversation with anyone, but particularly in the context of having your sons and your daughters receive it from you as you're teaching them that you would give the truth with grace. And when you're loading them up with grace, don't forget to embed in that grace the truth and they can see the truth and not just lick the honey. So it's all together in one bastion. So they're guarding their mind, guarding their hearts. Then it says to engrave them upon their heart, which means that it's so much, it's like memorizing it. They have these truths inside of them. Let's go to chapter 4, verse 23. Back to the idea of guarding your mind. Chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Watch your heart with all diligence. Now I thought to myself, why in the world did Solomon tell his son to watch your heart with all diligence? Well, for one reason, it's your mind, and we know that our mind is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So that means our, our, our heart, our mind, our thinking process, our rational ability, even our conscience is wrapped up in all of this as well. He says, you've got to watch that because it's very fragile. It's easily affected and infected. And so he says, watch your heart with all diligence. It didn't say with diligence. It said with all diligence. So in this verse alone, it says, I have to preserve the integrity of my thinking and my heart and my conscience. Then it says, why? The last part of the verse says, for from it, your heart flows the springs of life. If I could say it in another way, in another verse, it says, whatsoever man thinks, so is he. So you guard your mind because it's going to then affect your behavior. Out of your mind will be the springs of life. And everything you do is from your mind, the choices that you make. Think about it for just a moment. Your whole life can dramatically change in just one moment if you choose to take an alcoholic beverage or some kind of of a mind-bending drug before you get into a car. Your spring of life changes. Your spring of life can change just by the very person you choose to marry for the rest of your life. By one stroke of your signature, your finances could go down the tubes and your spring of life changes because your heart is out of whack. And so it says to guard our heart and guard our life. Now, maybe a personal illustration in your life might help out. Um, here in Hawaii, we, um, 
we, uh, we don't have a lot of air conditioning in our homes. We're grateful that we have it in the sanctuary, but we don't have it in our homes. Maybe you have a room that has air conditioning in it. But at the same time, it can be very warm. And as it is now during this particular season with this humidity as high as it is, you have your windows cranked wide open, do you not? Of course you do. Now, if you have a normal family in a normal house, you probably have, as you open the windows, you have screens on there. Why? Because often at night when your light is on, bugs will come in and you keep the bugs out by screening those bugs from coming up, but you want the air to come in, so you put screens that are up. Here's another illustration. When you are away from your home, you often lock your doors. Some of you have even um, security systems in place, some even with cameras, some with motion detectors, because you want to preserve the integrity of your belongings. You're a good steward and a manager of what you have, and, and any danger that might happen at night when you're asleep, you don't want someone to come in either to take something from you or to do harm to you. And so you have all of these things in place, and I commend you on it. How many of you are grateful that when you turn on your car and you go about 10 feet, your doors automatically lock on your car? to protect you, to keep you in the car, as well as to keep the bad from getting into the car to do harm to you. We have all these things in the natural world, and we're grateful for that. Then for us who are dads, we want to do the very same for our children. But we don't have an automatic system. It doesn't mean as soon as they walk outside the house, all of a sudden this thing comes up that blocks out all the information they're going to get from their buddies. And so that means we have to help them to consciously, proactively realize that all the time we have to be on the alert, guarding our minds. That's why we have in our men's ministry here the title, Life Guards. The reason we call that is because we want the guys to guard their minds, guard their own life. Once they guard their own life, it'll then spill over into guarding their families. They'll guard their whole community because they're life guards coming from this passage right here and how important it is for us to do that. And I hope that we might really own that because that's an important truth. Now, I have a couple other thoughts I'd like to say. Fathers are to protect them from what they are exposed to. That's the negative. We're to protect them from what they're exposed to. Now, I know that you can't run around and check everything that's on your son or daughter's iPhone or iPod or whatever they're listening to, whatever system is coming into them, but there does need to be a degree of accountability. Much younger, much more when they're younger, watch this now, not any less when they're older, but it's a little different when they're older. But it's to protect them as they're growing and developing. Since we do it with our house, we'll do it with our cards. Some of you will even do it with your plants as you put things around your plants so the bugs don't get into those plants. Why don't we do it with our kids? And the positive is we also have to provide exposure to the right stuff for their minds. Hence, to make sure they're reading the good stuff, they're around the good people, they're studying the right material, they're going to the right church, the right Sunday school, they're going to the right studies, they're going to the right schools, whatever that's possible to take that mind, filter out the bad, and put in the good, because out of it come really the issues of life, and we've studied that so much. So there's such a combination of truth in this. So dads, if I could say this, you are the guardian of their minds. Now, granted, that is an overstatement. Realistically, I cannot guard all that, my, all that may go into my son or my daughter's mind. But on the other hand, far more will go into their minds if I am lax in watching what goes in and what should be prevented from going in into their life. So I'm just trying to raise your awareness, your responsibility, your consciousness to the fact that we are responsible for doing Now, how do I know that? Well, part of this whole passage is Solomon was told by 
the ancients and his own dad these truths given to him by the Holy Spirit. And now he's telling the son, watch your mind. And then if you go through scripture, you're going to see what they're to watch their minds of and how they're to do it, etc. Are you with me so far? Are you tracking? Say, uh-huh. Okay, because I'm going to say something important now. The five truths I'm giving you today and the five truths I'm going to give you tomorrow, I want you to notice the unique flow that I put them out to you. The first one starts with fearing the Lord. The second one starts with guarding your minds. Each one of these, it starts at one point and it flows in a direction. So in other words, one principle will build upon another principle so that it'll help you in what you're doing. So there's a, there's a flow of logic, biblical logic in doing this to help you. So the first thing is I want to fear the Lord. I fear him so much that I want to guard my own mind right here so I don't let anything that will hinder me from fearing the Lord. Now, if I'm doing that, what else do I need to do? We're going to go to number three, the third lesson. The third lesson is to teach your son to obey his parents. You see, this is important because while you're wanting them to guard their minds, you know that they're going to need to have the help because while things are going in, you quickly have to tell them this is not right or this is right, this is best, this is only good, this is better, so they need to listen to you. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.